Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome to the sixth episode of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and I thank you all for joining me. And Harley says hello, too. (laughs) Okay, well, first off, I need to apologize if the audio is a little wonky on this episode. I'm finding a bit of a cold, so I apologize if I sound stranger than normal. But I have my cup of tea, and I'm going to do my best to edit out any coughs and sniffles, but if something does make it through, I appreciate your understanding. Okay, well, I'm trying to keep this in a structure, so I'm going to go into my feedback for the past couple episodes, and first off, I want to thank everyone who's downloaded and listened and uh, stuck around for the past five episodes. I really appreciate it. Uh, Let me just open up my email bag here. And I don't have any emails. Well, I warned everybody, if I didn't have any emails, I was going to play the crickets. So, if you'd like to avoid a repeat for next episode, just drop me a line at tangentsabound at gmail.com. And I appreciate any and all feedback, uh, positive and negative. And as long as it's family-friendly, I'll be happy to read it on the air. Unless you tell me otherwise. (laughs) Okay, well, since I have a very short feedback segment for this episode... We'll go into our promo for another great podcast. This one is one of my all-time favorites. It's hosted by a father and son team from North Britain, and I'll let you listen as they introduce themselves. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. This is a great show, friends. I highly recommend checking it out. I love Hey Kids Comics. Even though they're off the air on a regular schedule now, because uh, Michael has, well, graduated high school and is now in college, they still put out special episodes on a fairly regular basis. But if you, Andy also has his own show, Palace of Glittering Delights, and something that he's covered that I've really enjoyed is he's done a seven-part series on the Stanley and Steve Ditko run of Spider-Man, which has been really great. It really brought a fresh take to me on these classic issues of Spider-Man, so I highly recommend checking it out for whatever my <laughs> opinion's worth. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the main part of the issue today. Let's talk about Superman, Lois and Clark, Arrival, Part 5, or, as the Stinger said last week, Blood. And spoiler warning, there's actually very little of that. <laughs> so I'm not sure where they came up with that Stinger. So... Let's start with the cover, and this time I actually remembered to include the cu- the credits for the cover at the start of the issue, so I'm really happy. I'm, I'm getting better at this, friends. I really am. Also, if I act a little weird, it's also because I'm drugged up to the gills with cold medicine, and it makes me loopy because I have the drug tolerance of an infant. So, this may be a little bit of a wacky episode. <laughs> just Just want to warn you right now. So the cover was drawn and inked by Lee Weeks and colored by Brad Anderson. So on the cover, we see that Batman has pretty much kicked the Mary Poppins chimney sweeps out of their Chim Chim Cheree number and has replaced them with ninjas. (laughs) Now there's a bunch of unconscious ninjas donning a bunch of chimneys and we see the S-shield in the background as graffiti on a brick wall. 
And to be honest, it's kind of an okay cover. I mean, Batman looks good in his crouching position, but there's really nothing dynamic or exciting about the cover. And since I promoted Hey Kids, I'm also going to steal a famous line from them. It's alright. Does the job. It's a cover. Copyright Andrew Leyland. All rights reserved. Now, the variant cover for this issue is by the legendary comics artist Neil Adams, with Terry Dodson inking and Alex Sinclair coloring. Now, this is actually where I learned that variant covers can have absolutely nothing to do with the story, because we see a crazed, half-naked, bearded Clark Kent storm down a church aisle holding a terrified Lois in a bridal gown, reaching out to black suit Superman flying in from the upper left corner to save her. Now, I'm sure this is an homage to some previous cover, and to be honest, the wedding dress looks really great on Lois, but I have a very limited knowledge of what this may be referencing, so I have no idea, and if Michael Bailey happens to stumble across this episode and could help help me, I would be internally grateful, and I hope one day he does listen in. That's my, that would be my dream, him and Big Honk and Steve. <laughs> so the credits for this issue are... Writer, Dan Jurgens, Penciler, Neil Edwards. Inkers, Scott Hanna and Neil Edwards. Letterer, or Larger World Studios. Colorist, Jeremy Cox. Assistant Editor, Andrew Marino. And Editor, Eddie Berganza. So, for the first act of the issue, we open in Gotham City three years ago, where we find the Cape Crusader battling some ninjas. Now, I'm assuming these are League of Assassins ninjas, but they're not named, but anyhow, Batman fighting ninjas is always cool and awesome. Both Clark and Lois are narrating this little tale for us, and we find out that Clark almost came out of the closet, so to speak, and reveal himself to Batman. Not in either of those ways. That is not a euphemism. Lois questions why, and Clark simply replies, Well, I'm not really sure, Lois. Kind of hard to explain. Maybe because, even though he isn't the man I knew, he's still Batman. Well, we see our intrepid Dark Knight dispatch ninja after ninja almost effortlessly. However, hidden in the shadows, which is kind of the ninja stake and trade, you know, a sniper fires an arrow at Batman while his back is turned. And it's a good thing it was an arrow and not a bullet because, hey, we just lose a Dark Knight right here. The arrow is on a straight path to the back of Bruce's head. We see a silhouette of Clark on a nearby rooftop fire off a quick burst of heat vision. So instead of, oh, I don't know, flying at super speed to catch the arrow and leaving only a breeze and no residual trace of evidence, but hey, we need the glowing red eye somewhere in this issue, he melts the arrowhead into a harmless piece of slag, which impacts Bruce in the back of the head. Now... By harmless slag, we'll ignore the fact that Red Heart Metal just hit him in the back of the head and doesn't seem to ignite any part of his uniform. Picking up the half-melted arrow, Batman sees a shadow fly out against the full moon. See, Bruce? It's pretty cool when people can see that something fly in front of a moon, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if that's where you got the idea. So we find out that this story Clark is sharing with Lois was as the couple prepares the cake for John's fifth birthday. He's feeling a little depressed, and as he has been throughout the flashback, so to be honest, it's starting to get a little tiring, but Lois is, as usual, the voice of reason. And despite all the hardships and what they've lost or have to endure, such as working way below their station, 
she is more than okay with it because they did everything for their little boy. And I think that's what any parent would do, in my opinion. Heading out into the living room, we see John, our, our adorable Irishman Shell, and with him, his wife, Lynn. Well, wait, Lynn? What, what happened to Christine Issue 2? Well, this flashback takes, flashback takes place before it, where we meet Shell and Christine, so... Oh, oh, you poor, poor, adorable Irishman. I'm both sad and happy for you that you moved on. And then John makes a wish and blows out the candle. Okay, so first off, right off the bat, I want to say that with this opening with Batman, Lee Weeks, he draws a great Batman. The first panel, the very first page, is just a headshot of Bruce. And if I saw him in person that close, Deadpool, what would I have to wear? This guy's got the right idea. He wore the brown pants. Thank you, Deadpool. Also, Batman fighting ninjas. Oh, I love Batman fighting ninjas as much as I love Superman fighting robots, and I can never have enough of either of those, so all right. I love it. I really do. Also, we see that no matter how great a detective or fighter Batman is, he doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. And this is great. It shows that Batman can make mistakes, or he can't be everything and do any everything, unlike the way he's been portrayed in the past. And in fact, I believe the term for that was Bat-God, copyright Michael Bailey, all rights reserved. And Clark, we need to talk for a minute here, son. You turned a speeding projectile into a burning, superheated speeding projectile. And that's not the smartest thing you've ever done. Again, a simple super speed zoom with a breeze that would have been easily lost in the melee would have left no trace evidence for a certain world's greatest detective to try and piece together. And I don't mean to armchair right, but honestly I just hate seeing the overuse of heat vision as a crutch or as the requisite glory eyed picture for this issue, which must be a DC mandate right about by now. Oh, and also tangent about tangent about time. Does anyone else remember when Superman had X-ray vision and freezing breath? <laughs> I don't, because it seems that he only has heat vision besides flight and super strength. Ugh, I'm just getting tired of seeing the same powers being used over and over and no variations. Okay, now Batman narking the sniper out with a batarang is pretty darn cool. And I know this is comic books, but it seems like every time... I see a battering since the Arkham Asylum games and even Batman Begins came out that the batterings have had razor-sharp edges and no dull edges. I remember seeing batterings that were more like curved boomerangs, but they you could tell that they were solid edges. So if they hit someone, it would hurt and knock them out with these razor-sharp edges. I'm surprised Bruce hasn't killed anybody with these because last time I checked, something razor-sharp hurled at great velocity can part flesh pretty easily. So... Yeah, I, I I just don't like having the batarangs with the razor sharp edges. It it just it seems like it's just a matter of time before we have Bruce break his one rule. Okay, and the whole reason Clark was there, it's a great reason, and this wasn't because of some earth threatening menace or a case that he just couldn't figure out. Clark went to talk to Bruce simply because he missed his friend. He missed having someone that he could count on, no matter what, 
and was hoping to find something similar with this world's Batman. And Lois tells him that it's okay to feel that way. It's fine, but that Clark should get out of the house more and enjoy more of the world around him instead of wallowing in his self-pity over what he's lost. And also, without even saying a single word, we get a little more backstory and subtext with our adorable Irishman, who, to me, is the second coming of Bibble Babowski. And that's Shell Montgomery. Ooh, Shell and Bibbo in the same panel. That would be awesome. Someone draw this, please. Because we see that the poor man lost his wife, Lynn, whom we're introduced to in this issue, but yet he found another love with Christy in issue two. So he was able to put aside the grief and move on and find his happiness. And and I'm really happy for him. I, I really am, and I wish him and Christy all the best. Okay, so let me just take a drink of my tea. Oh, hot tea, hot tea. That is really hot tea. <laughs> Sorry about that, friends. <clears throat> and let's move on into Act 2. Returning to the present, Clark has been knocked unconscious by the minor avalanche he caused by Blank throwing him into the mountain last issue. And apparently it was more than a minor avalanche because the art this issue pretty much shows that the entire mountain has imploded onto Clark. So... We know he's more powerful than a locomotive. Is he more powerful than a mountain? Well, I hope so. Otherwise, this is going to be a really short synopsis, friends. <laughs> Basking in his seeming victory, Blank returns to the fortress atrium. Controlling Hank Henshaw, Blank wonders if that by relaxing his grip a little, Hank would be able to pilot the alien spacecraft hanging from the ceiling as one of Clark's mementos. So see, everyone? You can still have models of spaceships hanging in your personal space, like well, me. <laughs> it's just that when you're Superman, they tend to be more life-size than, you know, what you buy off Amazon. Suddenly, a phone starts to ring, and his computer console picks it up. It's Lois, and she is shocked to hear someone other than her husband answer. Reveling in the fright in her voice, Blank tells her, I'm coming for a visit, you know. We have so much to talk about. Then, swooping in, Clark, delivering a smashing haymaker to Blank's chin, screams, No, you don't! And barely stopping from turning Blank's head into a greasy smear on his fist, Clark smashes Blank into a nearby wall. Throwing Clark off him with a telekinetic blast, Blank uses his powers to activate a curd, Hey, remember them from issue two, folks? Warbot. Which basically looks like a Iron Man knockoff. <laughs> and here we get the sheer awesomeness of Superman fighting robots. Of Superman fighting robots. And again, I never get tired of seeing that. So this was a great two-for-one, friends. I got Batman fighting ninjas and Superman fighting robots. It's all. Oh, it was worth the price of admission just for those two scenes. The Warbot pummels Clark mercilessly. And also, apparently Tony, saw, Tony Stark needs to sue some aliens for copyright infringement because the Warbot fires a unibeam from its chest, drilling Clark through the floor. Meanwhile, Hank Henshaw has reached the controls of the spaceship and begins to power it up. Blank is mocking Clark when out of nowhere, a beam of energy strikes him from behind, distracting him. Hank calls out to Clark to tell him to take it from there, and Clark proceeds to take advantage of the situation. Clark grabs Blank 
and he quickly flies back to the fortress's holding cells and returns Blank to his plush accommodations of an empty 8x8 cell. Pounding futilely at the cell door, Blank vows that he will get out. Clark wonders aloud that he thinks there was something about Hank that allowed Blank to easily take control of him. And as he's pondering this, we meet a purple woman named Dratania and a not-Chewbacca-and-not-Sasquatch named Klon that Clark has been keeping locked in their own cells. Now, the main difference between these two and Blank is that Dratania and Klon have a little bit of monelosis, and they can't survive outside the environments in their cells. So Clark reminds them and lets us know that he hasn't gone all region Superman and starting throwing people into prison for no reason, seeing Justice Gods among us, and that he is trying to help them and he's trying to find them new places to live. Okay, so we have some great notes for this issue, friends. First, we get some great narration of Clark as he regains consciousness, and I'd like to share it with you. Since the day we arrived, I did what I could to make our lives happy. Now, unless I turn things around, I'll lose everything. John, Lois, they're my life. I can't let myself be beaten. Ever. Oh, and with that, they're my lifeline. He wakes up, his face is full of rage, determination, and he just starts pounding the rocks that are on top of him. The only thing missing is a doom, doom, doom sound effect, because he is certainly doing his best doomsday impression right here. And again, we get a little more wonkiness art-wise. Clark was thrown into the side of a mountain the last issue, which caused what looked like an avalanche. But, and it didn't really show that the entire mountain imploded on him, but I can understand how that would knock out a wonky power Superman, so I'll let it slide. And again, it's not enough to really bring down the issue, it's just a minor nitpick, and as much as I hate doing that, I have to because it, it's something that needs addressed. Okay, Blank, we need to talk again. You were such a menace and vile threat in issue three, and now you're just more and more devolving and I don't like and I I'm sorry to say that because well you're an idiot oh yes I'm sure that because oh yes being an astronaut on a ship powered by gasoline powered rockets automatically allows Hank Henshaw the ability to pilot an advanced alien starship capable of interstellar flight yep so does that mean since that I can drive a car I must be able to drive a moon buggy right I mean, they have four wheels. I should be able to drive it. Blank, you're you're just oh, you're devolving so much. You're devolving faster than King Cooper in the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I really never want to make a reference to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Thank you for making me do that. Okay, so Clark's phone is part of his computer system, and it's really cool. Now, when I first looked at it, I thought it was coming out of this crystal case with some glowing red thing in it, because I thought that was the phone, because Lois's word balloons are coming right in front of that case. But, no, that case is holding something important, but it's not the phone, so it's just part of the computer programs, which is pretty cool, honestly. I, I love Clark. <laughs> okay, but also during the conversation, Blank's threatening of Lois is great. 
The page is split up into quarter panels, and the first one is blank with a grin. The second is Lois just simply freaking out, asking, Clark, Clark, who are you? Wh why are you answering my phone? And then the third panel is just a close-up, a Blank's malicious grin, and it sells the menace beautifully. So Blank is kind of an up-and-down villain. But the final panel is Clark bursting through the wall, grabbing Blank, and the John Williams music is swelling right here with the no you don't oh yeah go clark finally you're doing something proactive <laughs> well as a result of that i hope that blank has wolverine's healing factor because i'm no chiropractor or medical professional but leaving impact ripples and steel walls can't possibly be good for your spine so ow so, again, we see Blank's main attack. And what is, that, what is that? Throwing Clark around like a rag doll. Yeah, that's going to stop the Man of Steel. Okay, Clark fights a robot. Again, awesome. Also, during this fight, I feel horrible for Lois because the crystal computer phone thingy, it's still active. So she's hearing the entire battle. And she has to be feeling helpless. I mean, the fear in her voice is really well illustrated in the panel where she's begging Clark to tell her what's happening. And it's just, it's poignant, it's frightening, it's, it's what I love about comic books. Hank blasting blank, it, try saying that three times fast, friends, with a laser beam is awesome. Now, Clark is surprised because he didn't think his spaceship Memento had any weapons, but he worries about that later and then throws Blank back into his cell. Now the curd robot that he's fighting in between looks awesome and with and with Hank blasted and distracted it immediately stops the warbot so it gives Clark an opening and it's it's great. Okay also with Blank back in his cell we meet Dratania and Klon and I hope that Mr. Jurgens comes back and explains who these people are, because we see how good Clark is. This reminds me of in the past where he had to put people in the Phantom Zone for various reasons, but most of the time it was to help keep them alive because they couldn't exist in our universe for some reason. So he had to put them there for safekeeping because they wouldn't age and nothing bad would happen to them until he could find a way to cure them. And since he doesn't have a Phantom Zone projector in the New 52 universe, he does the next best thing. And I hope we do get more with these characters in later stories. And I gotta say, Dratania, she looks maybe like, I'd say, a 19-year-old girl, maybe 20 is, But she's all in purple. I mean, she is literally all purple. But that's cool. And Klon, like I said, is a not Chewbacca and a not Sasquatch, but... Yeah, he really, really looks like Sasquatch from Marvel. So, there's that. Alrighty, friends. So now, we come to the final part of our epic tale of this issue. Meanwhile, in a prison in New Mexico, Bradley Glenn is being released for time served. He is approached by a woman and camera crew from a new reality show called Parents, Please Cover Your kids ears in three two one 
badass nation. And here on in, I will be calling them BA Nation. Who want to use Bradley as the star for their show. Well, what's the show's premise, you may ask? Giving a convicted criminal a suit of power armor, which allows them to go on rampages and wreck condemned properties to give viewers a sense of what it's like to be a supervillain. That's right, friends. Give convicted criminals weapons of mass destruction and go on rampages. Yeah, I have some notes on this later, and oh boy, just wait. <laughs> so, we return to the Excalibur's crash site, which has gone from mysterious jungle location to mysterious island jungle location, with Clark and Hank, because that way it can explain why Hank can be found unconscious at the wreck where the army is still searching for him. While there, Clark questions Hank as to what happened aboard the ship, and... Where is the crew? Well, Hank asked. Well, Hank doesn't answer. And he throws this question to Clark as to why he took him to the fortress. And Clark says, well, since you arrived alone, I wanted to make sure you weren't contaminated with some alien death plague. Not, oh, I didn't want you to develop superpowers and go on a destructive rampage and, you know, be responsible for the mass murder of a coastal city in California. I already went through that. I'm not doing that. I'm not cleaning up that mess again. Well, thanking Hank for his help, Hank reveals that it wasn't a laser beam from the ship that he used, but a beam from a small glowing red crystal. Kind of similar to a glowing red crystal we saw in a case in the fortress. So, huh, I wonder if those two are connected. Nah, nah, I don't think so. In Earth's orbit, because of the padding, we see that Space Xena is taking a shower. And she's completely covered in steam, so all we see is her face, so we don't need to up the rating here, folks. So get your minds out of the gutter. Unless glowing eyes in steam does it for you, then I can't help you. <laughs> Sensing that the Oblivion Stone is near, she orders her aide to prepare her armor, which she probably already was considering she was in the shower, and begin to landing preparations. Returning to the Kent's home, Clark flies into his bedroom with a worried Lois curled up on the bed. Lois tells Clark what's happened to Cora, and Clark reassures her that he will get her back safe and sound. Lois is worried that, with all the craziness happening lately, that John is starting to suspect something. He's been asking questions, trying to find out exactly what is going on with his parents, and Lois is feeling guilty about having to lie to him and not being honest with John, snuggling up against her husband. She wonders, how are they going to tell their son that Clark is Superman? Well, friends, she doesn't have to wonder about that conversation because in the other room, digging through his dresser, John has heard the entire conversation and pulls out his old S-Shield shirt with a look of absolute shock. What will happen next? Well, tune in to the next episode of Tangents Abound, and we'll find out. So, let's go back to this Bradley Glenn. Now, I know the DC Universe is vastly different than real life, and this is a comic book, first off, so anything can happen. But, come on, a reality show, which is the classiest of entertainment to begin with, 
is able to not only get one, a certified weapon of mass destruction, which probably cost millions of dollars, but also give it to a convicted felon with the idea of letting people see through the eyes of a supervillain? Well, I don't see this going horribly wrong, do you, friends? No, not in the slightest. Okay, so also we see that Hank has the Oblivion Stone. Well, this could be interesting. Hopefully. Oh, and uh, it's nice to know that Space Xena can take a nice steam bath while we get through all this padding. And to be honest, I think I should have too because, man, I could really, maybe they'd burn this cold out. But at least we finally have some forward momentum on this whole plot because with Blank wrapped up, we have this th looming threat that's about to finally get some resolution. Also, the panel of Clark comforting Lois and holding her while he promises to find Cor is very nice. It's all in silhouette, friends, and the only color is the S-Shield gleaming silver, and Lois is resting her head on his chest. It's, it's a really well-done panel, and it shows that these two people do need the strength of each other to get through the rough times, and I, I really do hear the John Williams romantic theme from Superman that we'll be playing right there. Also, John's look of surprise when he hears Lois say, how do we tell John you're Superman is priceless. His eyes are literally bugging out of his head. So it's really, it's a really great cliffhanger for the next issue, and I'm really looking forward to going over that with you, my friends. So, what are my final thoughts on this issue? Well, it was a nice resolution issue for the whole blank plotline that's covered the past three issues, and it opened up some questions about Hank Henshaw as to how was he able to control this Oblivion Stone? He found it in Jupiter, so something must have happened when between that space station that was orbiting Europa, which is a moon of Jupiter, and the Excalibur. And and what exactly does Space Xena have to do with any of this? So, we got some good questions. Seeing Batman was great, and it was just a fun little cameo, fun little story. It didn't impact it. We got to learn more about Clark you know, f missing his friend, but it was great to see Batman fight ninjas, and it didn't impact the story and take it over as some other DC projects involving Batman and Superman have, like a certain recently released movie. <laughs> yeah, what happened to Man of Steel 2? And also, John's birthday party, it helped fill in some blanks, and it was just a nice little happy scene. After all the tragedy and death and violence we've seen from issues 3 and 4, it gave us a nice little chance to catch our breath and move on from the inner gang problems, from the fight with Blank, and just chill. And it, it's a good falling action, and just before it picks right back up with the fight between Clark and Blank. And Clark breaking through the mountain is gold. His, the, the dialogue he gave while fighting for it He's not fighting for Metropolis anymore. He's not fighting for the good of mankind. Well, he still is. But what he's fighting for most is his wife and son. And I love seeing Superman in a father role. I love seeing my favorite hero and the love of his life in completely new roles with the introduction of Jonathan Kent. And it's been such a great, great plot in facets to these characters that have existed for over 75 years 
that I am so happy and I can't wait to read more about them. And the issue ended with a great cliffhanger and I'm really, like I mentioned, really looking forward to going through the next issue with you, my friends. That is if you wanted to stick around because, like I said, I'm on cold pills right now and things are really wacky. So this is, oh, I, I'm scared going over this to clean up a lot of the coughing and sniffles. So I'm worried as to just how wacky I may sound. So I promise next episode I'll be a little more under control. I really hope so. <laughs> because I don't know if I could do a second episode feeling like this. So, But I made a promise to keep the show weekly. And by gum, I'm going to stick to it. So I appreciate everyone willing to put up with me and my craziness. So... I thank everyone for joining me on this episode. I, again, strongly encourage you to check out Hey Kids Comics or Palace of Glittering Delights, which can be found on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, if you want just kind of like a little taste, look up their uh, coverage when they did Nightfall. And it's really cool because I never read all of Nightfall, and it they did a great job. And that that is just a really great great series they did. You have to dig through their backlog a little bit because it's like one, one of the first things they did, but it it was great, and I definitely recommend checking them out. So, I thank you all for joining me next. Thank you all for joining me for this episode, and tune in with me next week as we cover Superman, Lois and Clark, Arrival, Part 6, or Secrets Confirmed. I'll see you next time, friends. And in case I don't see you today, have a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you.